The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Guess what, Mango? What's that, Will? So you remember a couple of years after we got out of school and the book Moneyball came out, and we were both fascinated by the premise. You know, the basic idea was that the way so-called experts were thinking about evaluating player performance was you know, seriously flawed and, and certainly very subjective at the least. And, and I mean, this wasn't just commentators and players. I mean, this was scouts, coaches, nearly everyone. And that is until a few clubs, and especially the Oakland A's, started taking a much more analytical approach to how teams should be assembled. As they started looking at stats that had really kind of been ignored before, or at least had taken a back seat. So things like on-base percentage instead of batting average. Yeah, it was, it was super interesting. And if I'm remembering correctly, like in those years that the A's made it to the playoffs, they were actually spending far less than half of what the Yankees were spending on their entire club. It really was incredible and just super interesting to see how quickly that much more analytical approach made its way into other sports like basketball. Yeah, it was. Well, now there's a new field that looks like it could significantly change sports again, at least according to the author of a new book called The Performance Cortex, How Neuroscience is Redefining Athletic Genius. And today we're lucky enough to be joined by the author of that book, Zach Schonbrunn. He'll talk to us about why brains of certain great athletes like Steph Curry and Serena Williams and Tom Brady are just so different. Because while they're obviously in incredible shape and have spent countless hours working on their craft, We know there's more to it than that. How does a great hitter master the timing of drilling a 95-mile-an-hour fastball? How do great shooters manage to make half of their three-pointers? And how does a great quarterback make such split-second decisions with a bunch of guys twice their size coming in for the kill? So that's what we're talking about today. Let's dive in. Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Mangesh Hatikater. And on the other side of the soundproof glass, 
holding a tennis racket in one hand as he handles the control panel in the other. That's our <laughs> friend and producer, Tristan McNeil. Yeah, he's been watching Serena Williams videos all morning, just trying to match her reaction time on serves. And he's getting pretty good, actually. It's impressive. Yeah. All right. It's time to sit down, Tristan. It's time to, time to get focused here. So, all right, Mango, as we mentioned at the top of the show, we're thrilled to be joined by the author of a new book called The Performance Cortex, How Neuroscience is Redefining Athletic Genius. And as the book says, it's not about the million-dollar arm anymore. It's about the million-dollar brain. Zach Schonbrunn, welcome to Part-Time Genius. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. So, Zach, I know you've mentioned that the inspiration for this book came after your wife pointed you to this article about two neuroscientists working in Major League Baseball. Can you talk about what these guys were looking for and how this all sent you down a rabbit hole on this topic? Yeah, yeah, it was uh, very serendipitous. Um, you know, I had been flipping through an alumni magazine and and my wife had been with me and she noticed the small little blurb about these two Columbia University neuroscientists that were, as you said, they were starting to work in, in with Major League Baseball kind of as a consulting basis, and they were still finishing up their their own neuroscience research at uh, at Columbia. And, you know, I, I'm a sports writer. I had heard a little bit about brain gaming and, and cognitive uh, training in, in sports and, and obviously mindfulness and things like sports psychologists had been around for a while. Mm-hmm. But neuroscience seemed a little different to me, you know, and they were using a neuroscience imaging technique called EEG, electroencephalogram, to actually figuratively peel back the skull and see what's underneath the the helmets of these hitters and how their brains are responding to pitches. Teams were really interested in this information, not just for training purposes in terms of maybe getting hitters to improve their decision-making at swinging at fastballs or curveballs or sliders, but also perhaps as a scouting method, figuring out, you know, okay, what might be a baseline for what the reaction time of a major leaguer needs to be, you can then kind of fit other uh, prospects or or screen for, for future players based on, on that kind of baseline. And so it really presented this kind of new frontier in analytics, which is obviously a, a big topic because this was not so much a performance training device, but uh, an analysis tool that was that was very unique. Yeah, it was interesting hearing you talk about, you know, the two MVP frontrunners in the American League last year. You know, you've got Jose Altuve, who is, what, I think like five foot six and maybe 165 pounds. And then you've got Aaron Judge, who's well over six foot six, six foot seven or so, 282 pounds. And they're both great players. But if you look at the two of them, you you know, you, you wouldn't know exactly what makes the two of them great because they look so different. And and obviously there is something different happening in their brain. And it's just interesting to me that this hasn't really been looked at before. Why do you think this isn't something that's been written about or or researched as much previously? Well, I mean, if you remember Moneyball, if you remember the movie Moneyball and you remember the scouts talking uh, even back then about scouting players based on the good face, right? Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, whether the guy was handsome or whether the guy had a girlfriend, and, uh, and that was going to predict, somehow predict how they would turn out to be as, as major league players. And that was kind of laughed about in the movie. And some of that has changed, but still so much of scouting and, and analytics, in fact, all of scouting and analytics to this point is all post hoc narratives that are put together after the guy swings or, uh, you know, or doesn't swing and takes a walk. And all those stats are, are compiled from there. So, you know, these guys were, were doing something that, was obviously occurring before any 
pitch reached home plate. Um, and I think, you know, what has taken some time for, for teams to wrap their head around uh, about this kind of technology is there's not a, quite enough data yet for them to say whether or not it's, it's you know, useful to them. They, they care about winning games. They don't want to put their players um, through a lot of rigor. And, you know, these sorts of science, this sorts of analysis, it takes time. You know, you have to wear an EEG cap for 40 minutes, uh, clicking on a laptop keyboard. And, you know, it's not something that players obviously want to spend a lot of time doing, especially if they're not even convinced that this is going to help them. You know, coming away from this and spending time with with Jason and, and Jordan, I have no doubt that this type of technology, is, it's, as it continues to get easier and easier to use, it's going to be more and more prevalent in, in sports. Speaking of a uh, of a different Jordan, I was actually in high school in the Birmingham area when Michael Jordan was playing for the White Sox Double A team, the the Birmingham Barons. Then, and of course, it was a, you know a ton of hype around him being there, and it was a lot of fun to go see these games. And you're talking about one of the greatest athletes and one of the greatest competitors of all time, but it never quite clicked, you know, on the on the hitting front. And I don't know what we all expected, but you know, it was just interesting to see that it didn't quite come together in that way. And so would you say this probably did have something to do with, you know, obviously there had been a lack of training over so many years, but at the same time, did he not quite have that thing or whatever that brain factor is to to have become the hitter he was hoping to be? Yeah, that that's exactly right. And I mean, the story of Michael Jordan as a baseball player has always been remembered, as you kind of said, as kind of an embarrassment and a failure. And and I actually think that's really not not the case and 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 probably not fair. He certainly had the athleticism. He had he had the tools physically to become a a superstar in baseball. Obviously, I mean, he was the greatest athlete in the world. He had the quick hands. He had the uh, coordination of his legs, and that's probably what enabled him to even bat two hundred at the double A level. Which you know, again, it, that to me is incredible, uh, and and should not be perceived as a failure, but really more of a marvel. But what he didn't have was what Jason and Jordan are studying. They, he didn't have the decision-making ability in his brain, the, the regions of his brain that are necessary for hitting through studies. We've sort of gotten a bit of a, a clue into what regions might be necessary for hitting. Those regions had not been exercised in that way in, in a dozen years. And uh, in, that, in that short amount of time, that one summer, they weren't going to be exercised enough for him to, uh, for him to make the major league. Well, I always think the same thing. That is just stunning that he was able to walk into a different sport and compete even at that level. It's, it's pretty incredible. But uh, could you talk a little more specifically about what brain regions are crucial for baseball players? Motor studies are just inherently difficult to do. You're not taking a hitter and putting him into a batting cage, but they do try and, and simulate what it's like to be hitting a pitch or at least responding to a pitch via a, a video game simulation. And they were able to stick several Columbia University baseball hitters into an MRI and uh, see what was responding in their brains as these pitches were coming and obviously compare those to novices. And they found two brain regions in particular that were of interest and that were activating uh, or their, their, uh, their neurons were responding in a way that was different than novices. And the first was the uh, supplementary motor area. This was particularly responsive when the hitters were deciding not to swing. And this made a lot of sense because in other studies involving the supplementary motor area, that region is particularly active in tasks where you have to inhibit your movement. 
such as uh, when you just might be watching something, but you're not you're not supposed to move. And so the fact that these hitters, when they're not swinging and their supplementary motor area is lighting up, it 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 told the researchers that they're kind of hitters are kind of on a hairpin trigger. You know, they don't have much time to react. Obviously, they have 400 milliseconds, and if you want to break it down, they actually have less than that. I mean, it's it's half an eye blink. Wow. Yeah, it's incredible. And so they have to be ready to swing, you know, at, at at any moment. And so what is it that might separate the good hitters from the not so good hitters? It actually might not be their ability to swing, but it might be their ability to hold off and not swing. And so um, that's where the supplementary motor area comes into play. When the hitters were responding uh, to pitches and were, were swinging, the other area that, that lit up uh, primarily was this place called the fusiform gyrus. Um, which is part of the fusiform face area. It's involved with face. It's, it's been shown in other studies to be heavily involved with facial recognition. So when I am scanning a crowd, I can immediately notice my, my mother's face in that crowd, you know, instantaneously because I'm, you know, I'm quote unquote an expert in seeing her face. Right. And so it's been shown in a lot of other studies on, on expertise, whether it's at bird watchers or car enthusiasts or, uh, chess players. That's the region that uh, acts as the trigger to the motor system to jumpstart it into motion. Those were primarily the two regions uh, of interest that they found in hitters. And and I think intuitively, it, it kind of makes some sense. Yeah. And it, and it sounds like you have some of those same skills as well. I mean, if Altuve can hit a fastball and you're using that same region of the brain to recognize your mom in a crowd, that's really impressive. So <laughs> congratulations on that. <laughs> All right, well, I want to talk about my favorite sport, but before we do that, let's take a quick break. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward, inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com.
Welcome back to Part-Time Genius. We're talking about the new book, The Performance Cortex, How Neuroscience is Redefining Athletic Genius. So, Zach, I'm actually eager to, to talk a little bit about Steph Curry because we're getting toward the end of the basketball season here. It's been an exciting one to watch. Hopefully he comes back from his injury and we'll have a really exciting playoff season to watch. But I, I do want to talk about him a bit because, you know, you look at two of the greatest basketball players on the planet. You've got LeBron James, who's at six foot eight, 250 pounds. And not to take anything away from his skill, but he's kind of a superhuman build. And then you take somebody like Steph Curry and, you know, if you didn't know him and he just walked into your local pickup game, you wouldn't necessarily know that you were in the presence of maybe the greatest basketball player in the world until you saw him play, of course. And so I think he's, what, six foot three, not even 200 pounds. So I'm curious, like, what is going on in Curry's brain that makes him so great? Yeah, yeah I mean, it's a great question. I, I wish we knew um, it, it, because, you know, obviously he, you know, he, he has yet to avail himself of, of, uh, of any neuroscience labs. And, and I know that neuroscientists would love to get our hands, get their <laughs> hands on him because, you know, he is a great example of this, what we've been talking about. And that is, uh, that you can't necessarily judge an athlete purely on his, on his physical attributes. You know, Steph Curry coming out of college was considered too unathletic to play in the NBA by scouts. And he was, he dropped down and and draft boards because he was maybe too slow. They didn't think he could defend. And, um, you know, and they, and they just were, he he was not big enough. He he did not look like LeBron James uh, who, who comes to mind anytime you think about an NBA player. And yet he's been able to rise above, uh, above the rest of the league. And I think, you know, if you were to take his, his measurables still today and line them up with, uh, 200 other NBA guards, you wouldn't be able to pick him out of a lineup. As a sports fan, you know I've been focused my my whole life on oh the you know the the, the speed, the agility, the wingspan of, of of especially of NBA prospects. You know as they're coming, that's all the scouts and analysts talk about. And those are certainly characteristics and factors that can contribute. The performance, don't get me wrong, but uh, but Steph Curry is a great example of this idea that it's 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 not everything. I remember reading this thing about Steph Curry playing horse with his uh, brother Seth and his dad Dell, and that the games could go on for hours because they were all such good shooters. <laughs> yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah, I can believe it. <laughs> so funny, but uh, uh, staying with basketball, I, I'm curious. Um, you know, why is it that we never see an NBA player get anywhere to like 100% of making their free throws? It's called a charity stripe and, and all that. <laughs> like, well, what is it about the muscle movements that that uh, that makes this such a difficult task? Yeah, right. It always frustrates me, right, that, you know, these guys practice it so much and and, uh, and yet they, they're still unable to make 100%, not even really get close. I think the, um, the all-time leader is, is somewhere around 90, 92% or something. If you want to think about our, our nervous system, the connections between the brain and the musculature as like telephone wires, um, the signals that get sent throughout our body are inherently afflicted with some jittery noise, what it's called. It's called neuromotor noise. This is inherent to our system. It's just a biological reality. Um, everybody, everybody has it. And it's just a function of our systems not being perfect. You know, we're, we're human, right? You can't make two of the same exact precise movements. As much as, much as you want to try, um, you're not going to make two movements of the same. Uh, Nikolai Bernstein called this repetition 
without repetition. You can repeat movements that functionally look the same, such as swinging an axe and chopping a piece of wood. It all you know, looks the same, and, and you will still hit the axe in the same mark, but the movement to actually get to that point will change. Uh, and and that's, that is a function of the noisiness of our system and it's the reason we have the game of darts, right? If 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 we were if we were all moving and we had no noise and we, we moved perfectly, we wouldn't have any competition with our darts because every one of our movements would just be be the same and, and be able to to throw the dart in the same spot. And so, you know, we can create robots that move without noise, but but not ourselves. We we have this um innately in our systems and uh it's a uh, it's you know it's it's the reason that these NBA guys no matter how much they practice, um, you know, they, they will, they're going to have different movements on, on different nights and their free throws as a result are, are going to change. Maybe one day, you know, it, it'll, it'll happen um, because somebody uh, will have a less, less noisy system than the rest of us. But uh, to this point, it hasn't happened. Wow. That's uh it's fascinating to think about. It. I'd never thought about it that way. I will say when Shaq shot free throws, it did pretty much always look like the same horrible line drive form but uh, but i guess even with Shaq, it, it wasn't you know moving to a different sport you talk about tennis stars as being math geniuses so so why do you say that yeah well <laughs> yeah it sounds a little strange mm-hmm. you know tennis <laughs> tennis in particular when you're returning a serve it happens incredibly quickly and you're not just swinging at a, at a ball that's coming in, you know, straight at you. You're also anticipating where this ball is going to have to bounce. You're anticipating what kind of bounce you're going to receive. And the more experience you have in that, in that situation, the more accurate your probability will be. So Roger Federer, he's got a lot of experience and therefore he, he can, he's going to be more accurate in, uh, in choosing the correct response uh, for each serve. You can effectively say that, uh, that these, these tennis experts are actually using math um, to uh, to figure out where where the ball is going to be coming. Which lines actually, up with uh, my own perspective because I, I was a mediocre tennis player and a mediocre math student. So I, I think that that adds up. It all it all makes perfect <laughs> sense. Actually, there 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 was one side note to that. I remember, and it makes more sense now thinking about this article that I remember from our mental floss days, where a reader had asked the question. You know, does it actually help a player or give them an advantage when they grunt when they hit the tennis ball? And you know, I guess the studies were showing that that grunting actually does provide a slight advantage because it kind of muffles the sound of the ball hitting the racket, and it gives the opposing player maybe slightly less time or slightly less information. You know, to your point, Zach, that they are kind of using all of these calculations even unconsciously as they hear a ball hit a racket to then decide in that millisecond, you know, where the ball may be going or how fast it may be coming to them. So, you know, the next time we get out there, I think I'm probably going to scream a lot every time I hit the ball. It's going to be great. <laughs> well, I mean, what it, what it comes down to is our movement system, our motor system is, is actually kind of slow, you know, and, and this, this is one of the things that surprised me most is that, you know, I, I kind of assume that nervous signals, um, you know, occur quickly, they happen quickly, but it actually, you know, it's actually slower than, than you would think. It takes time. And so when you're talking about responding to, you know, 150 mile an hour serve, 
uh, with all the pressure and, and in, front of, in front of a stadium of, of full of fans and trying to, you know, obviously hit an accurate return. You're not just trying to make contact. You have to respond. You have to return it to the right spot. And so, you know, all these things factor into the, the way that our brain has to make predictions about what's about to unfold. And this, this happens all the time and it especially happens in, in athletes. And the more experience you have in moving and responding to the tasks that you're shown, um, the, the stronger the link between perception and action might be. I'll give you an example. There was an amazing study a few years ago uh, at a, in Rome involving uh, a few professional basketball players. I think they, they gathered like six or eight professional Italian basketball players. And they had them watch a clip of a guy shooting free throws. And they stopped the clip just as the, the ball was about to be released from the player's hands. They asked these subjects, the, the, uh, these professional players, they asked them whether or not the guy made the shot. And they found that the, the professional basketball players were far more accurate in predicting whether the guy was going to make or miss the shot than even coaches who were also shot wow. and other experts, you know, sports writers and, and fans and, and so on. And so what that told them is that being actively involved in, in your, you know, whatever uh, task you're trying to do, moving in that way, it actually enhances that link between your perceptual system and your motor system. You can essentially feel what you're seeing or simulate the movement that you're supposed to be doing in response to what you're seeing. Really interesting. And it, and it, it speaks to the difference that these experts, uh, the differences that these experts have uh, than, than the novices, than you or I sitting out there on the tennis course, just kind of, tennis court, just kind of reading and reacting. It's, that's not what Federer is doing. <laughs> I, I, I remember reading this one thing about uh, uh, Andre Agassi was saying that, you know, almost like a goalie in on penalty shots, for certain servers who are serving so fast, you just have to pick a side. Uh, you know, you'd either sort of prep for a forehand or a backhand. And, and he said that uh, Boris Becker used to have a tell where he would actually stick his tongue out to the left or right side of his mouth as he was serving, and you could tell kind of where the serve <laughs> was going, which is, <laughs> which is kind of funny. <laughs> That's pretty great. Well, we've got a few more questions for you, Zach, but before we get to those, let's take a quick break. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. 
So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. I was reading recently about the Sixers who implemented this whole chef staff to make sure that their athletes are eating absolutely appropriately. You you see things about like Moneyball and how how teams are sort of uh, evaluating different things to to recruit players, new metrics and stuff. And I, I'm sort of curious, like how long will it be before teams start employing neuroscientists on on staff? And and which sports do you see relying most on these advancements in the field? It's a good question. I mean. At this moment, almost every Major League Baseball team has at least corresponded with DeCerbo, so the uh, the neuroscientist from Columbia that I, that I wrote about. So DeCerbo would tell you that baseball is kind of the, the perfect fit for what they're doing because it's a single interaction. Um, it's hitter versus pitcher, and it's swing or don't swing. It's go or don't go. And so being able to analyze that type of interaction is a lot easier than being able to say what Steph Curry is doing on a basketball court because he's got four different teammates, he's got five different opponents, he's moving in all different ways. It's a much more dynamic setting. So yeah, I think sports maybe like tennis and baseball, kind of that go or no go, seem to be a better fit for for where neuroscience is, is set. You know, there was there was one more question that I wanted to ask you before we let you go, and and that has to do with this idea of intelligent skin. And I just thought this was fascinating, whether we're talking about golf or uh, or tennis or some of these other sports. Can you talk a little bit about this? It's something I'd really never thought about before. Yeah, yeah, me neither. Um, you know, our, our, our skin and our sense of touch is a very underrepresented area of science. The way that we kind of know that we're, there's still a lot more to learn is looking at robotics. Robots, you know, engineers and, and neuroscientists have spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to get robots to move like humans. We can get them to outthink humans. Um, I just look at how they, you know, they do on Jeopardy and, and in chess and so on. But we haven't yet really gotten any robot that can actively move in a way that would have us be confused for a human. And, uh, you know, all you have to do is YouTube uh, robot opening doors and, and you'll see, you know, how far off we are. But what they're actually missing and what they think is the next step to that realism of, in robotics is the input, that perception from effectively the robot's skin. Until we, until we get there, I think it'll be hard to get a robot to, to move like us. And I think it just tells us uh, a little bit more about how, how much of our, our own skin is involved in, in our movement. It's been fascinating. And it, it's really interesting to think about how much this could change the way we think about sports and the way we think about these superstar athletes really as geniuses in their their own right so the book is called the performance cortex how neuroscience is redefining athletic genius but zach thanks so much for joining us today thanks guys really a lot of fun
Thanks again for listening. Part-Time Genius is a production of How Stuff Works and wouldn't be possible without several brilliant people who do the important things we couldn't even begin to understand. Kristen McNeil does the editing thing. Noel Brown made the theme song and does the mixy-mixy sound thing. (laughs) Gary Rowland does the exact producer thing. Gabe Luzier is our lead researcher with support from the research army, including Austin Thompson, Nolan Brown, and Lucas Adams. And Eves Jeffcoat gets the show to your ears. Good job, Eves. If you like what you heard, we hope you'll subscribe. And if you really, really like what you've heard, maybe you could leave a good review for us. Do we, do we forget Jason? Jason who? This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is... And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.